0: Active box podcast, the weekly pseudo-academic roundtable of pop culture analysis with drinking and swearing. My name is Chris Maverick, but you can call me Mav, and I am once again here with my co-host, Monica Marvelous. Hey, Monica, how's it going? You're back. You did something special since the last time you were here.
1: Well, it's true. I got married. I got Yay. exactly one yeah. week ago from today. Um,
0: or two weeks ago? Yeah,
1: for listener, time. <laughs> for listener time. It'll be two weeks recording time. It'll be one, one week.
0: Congratulations. And then you came back here anyway. I expected you to be off honeymooning or doing something i i don't know just oh,
1: we did an early honeymoon instead of a an after honeymoon
0: that's true i, d- I did i yeah. did see pictures yeah and also you guys you guys went all the way to france and got covid together and all that kind of stuff too so yeah,
1: that's yeah. It. we shared everything we could possibly share <laughs> oh
0: <laughs> so. well congratulations thank and- you And I want to also thank you for coming back because we are doing a show that I have been looking forward to for months. This is an amazing show. Everybody should check out Nancy Drew because we're going to do a show on it. And then we talked about it and everybody agreed to do a show on it. And next week as we record, but last week for the listeners, because podcast time travel next week for us is the season finale. And I was excited. And even last week on the air, Katya asked me if I actually liked Nancy Drew better than Riverdale, which even though I maintain Riverdale is the best show on television, I admit it that, you know, I actually do personally enjoy and look forward to Nancy Drew more than I look forward to Riverdale every week. But, you know, I admitted that on the air and I said, we're going to do this. And everybody agreed. And now it's been six months and nobody watched the show, which was sort of a problem. And then I thought, well, Monica will watch the show. So Monica, did you watch?
1: I got married, man. Oh, so. <laughs> Damn it. No,
0: that's OK, because <laughs> oh, okay. I found just for this episode, I found people who did watch the show and who do enjoy. And we're not going to be just talking about the show. We're going to talk about Nancy Drew the show, and we're going to talk about Nancy Drew the novels and previous incarnations of Nancy Drew, the films, and people. T- it's going to be all things Nancy Drew today. So I want to invite back, just returning to the show. So it's been like two weeks since we've seen Nicole Freem. Hey, Nicole.
2: <laughs> <laughs> Hi, Matt. Monica, welcome back. congratulations. Thank you,
0: Nicole. You've watched the show,
2: yes, indeed. I have because you told me that I should.
0: So. <laughs> what do you think about it?
2: I really enjoy it. I was a big fan of Supernatural, watched it since it started, and <laughs> so I, I like the sort of supernatural flavor of the mysteries. It's, it's funny, it's some, it's you know, the anti Scooby Doo because yes. the answer is almost always mystical,
0: yes, and as time goes on, even more so. It's yeah, yeah. It, it, it's mm-hmm. just ghosts. <laughs> that's, the, that's the answer. I also want to invite returning guest, a host of Sex, Love and Lit. And I said that right this time because I usually want to say Sex, Lies, Lit. Uh, Corinne Matthews. Hey, Corinne, welcome back.
3: Hello. Thank you. I'm so excited to talk Nancy Drew.
0: We talked about this briefly last time you were on the show. We talked about our mutual love of this show. And I said that I was looking forward to doing a show all about Nancy Drew one day. And this is back when I thought, you know, some of my co-hosts might actually watch it. But then I posted the link that said we were doing the show. And you're co-host said make sure you ask her so
3: <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah
0: <laughs> so how did that happen Is she, did she just tell you like oh go be on back
3: <laughs> no she didn't tell me she just tagged me and was like oh i guess it's my fault you're going on then good luck <laughs> <laughs>
0: Well, well, thank you for coming back. And, you know, we'll yeah, talk about it. I'm
3: excited it. to be here.
0: <laughs> and I, I think this will overlap with what you do on your show quite a bit in today's conversation.
3: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: OK. And I want to invite for the first time to the show, maybe the biggest super fan of the Nancy Drew TV show that I know, someone who loves it even more than I do, as I can tell by her Facebook feed, my friend Sandy Eckert. Hey, Sandy.
4: Hello. Hi. How is everybody?
0: <laughs> Sandy, since you haven't been here before, let people know who you are.
4: Well, my name is Sandy Eckerd and I live in the Poconos and I teach at East Stroudsburg University and I I work in the English department and I help with the education classes. I teach a course called Young Adult Literature. So I spend a lot of time getting to geek out over everything pop culture related to young adult stuff like Nancy Drew.
0: Awesome. And I know also just from watching, you know, you (coughs) tweet or Facebook about this show a lot (laughs) because for me, I use Twitter and Facebook the same way, but you, you post about the Nancy Drew show a lot. I, know.
4: I, I think that it's the most interesting show related to an update of something classic. And I think that's what I find so fascinating is all of the changes that they've made, which I'm sure we're going to be talking about
0: today. Yeah. And well, that was one of the things that I was fascinated. I started watching the show originally <laughs> because it was promoted during Riverdale heavily for weeks leading up to its premiere. And I was like, I'll give this a shot. It looks like the same thing. I like pretty people. Look, it's going to be pretty people, you know, doing mysteries and doing absurd, you know, Riverdale kind of shit. And it really seemed like that's what it was for the first episode. But then it quickly became not that. It became kind of, I'd say, Veronica Mars, basically. And then it became not that either. Veronica Mars was always kind of an update to Nancy Drew. That's what it was. But it became Veronica Mars. Then it became kind of X-Files. And now it's just its, it's own thing. I find it to be fascinating because in a way that a lot of children's lit looks down on children or young adult lit looks down on young adults and thinks of them as children. It doesn't try to do that. It takes it seriously. It's just, it's trying to be a good show, I think. I would agree.
4: That's what is is fascinating about the update is that Nancy has her own agency and they point that out several times throughout each season. They'll have at least one episode where somebody says, well, you are a grown woman and they literally use the word agency. And and Mm -hmm. that's what makes it different than some other young adult Mm shows or
0: novels. So I have a question. I'm on the show with four grown women who study literature for a living. And then me. (laughs) Am I the only one who never read these books as a kid? Because I did I never read a Nancy Drew book until yesterday when I read (laughs) Hidden Staircase.
2: I don't recall reading. I I, maybe I read one once, but I don't. I know Nancy was not my sleuth of choice when I was
0: younger. (laughs) Sleuth of choice.
3: (laughs) Yeah, I didn't really read her either. I know my mom tried really hard to get me to read Nancy Drew and she got one of those like monthly subscriptions book things for it and it just did not stick for me. <laughs>
4: <laughs> i read all of them. I remember when they changed the covers and I got really upset that they changed
0: Okay, them. <laughs> so you read all of them as a kid even?
4: Oh yes, I would say I was probably like eight when I when I started reading them and I read them religiously all through the old-fashioned library hardcover versions of them all the way to where they started making paperbacks which was like really something like they made paperback copies. <laughs>
1: <laughs> I also read a lot maybe I just really enjoyed the sleuthing genre in general and I also had parents that weren't big on television so we were allowed to have as many books as we wanted and the thing about as many books as you want with all of those mystery novels is you know there's hundreds of them because after you finish Nancy Drew you get to read all of the Hardy Boys you get to read all of the boxcar children because there's always a new mystery so for me like that was a big part of growing up was reading all of those sleuthing novels and I would say that Nancy Drew for me in the hierarchy was above Hardy Boys, but below boxcar children.
0: I'm not familiar with the boxcar children. I, I know who the Hardy Boys are, and I think I've read A the Hardy boxcar Boys.
1: Children. <laughs> <But the boxcar laughs> that
0: is,
3: children that is are one series that stuck.
1: <laughs> a also sort of sleuthing family. And the reason they're called the Boxcar Children is they become orphaned and they live in a literal boxcar until they are adopted and then they keep the boxcar as like their cute little clubhouse that they go to when they're trying to work through some sleuthing stuff so I think maybe I liked it because I didn't enjoy the division of gender that seemed to happen because you had to sort of choose Nancy Drew or Party Boys but in Boxcar Children it was a, a mixed gender family and so there was sort of it felt a little more Brady Bunch I guess uh, in that everyone seemed to have a more equal role and you, so, you didn't sort of get stuck in as much of the gendered tropes that you did when you sort of had to choose between Nancy Drew or the Hardy Boys books?
0: Oddly enough, I am familiar with the Bobbsey Twins. So so i would not read any of the originals, but I got into the TV show just because it was on after Riverdale. And like I said, it, I quickly just became massively enamored with it because of it's, it's a high production value show with interesting plot twists, interesting characters. And I wanted to talk a little bit about, you know, both why why it works as itself, but also a little bit about the connection with the original versions. And we had a comment from Caitlin Cop Millward, who said that she loved the books as a kid and was very excited to see edgy Nancy Drew. But she was turned off not by them taking away the wholesomeness, which I talked about, you know, like I always thought of Nancy Drew as this good girl, you know, overly saccharine, you know, goody two-shoes, because I'd seen other films. And and just in the pop culture milieu, that's what I would come to think of her as. But, so I w- so that's kind of why I was like, um, alright, well they're just, they're making this sexy. And last time Corinne was on the show, we did the you know, pour some sexy on it. They're just CWifying it. And that's what I thought it was going to be. And she said she wasn't turned off by that. And in fact, she was super excited about it. But what she was turned off by was she said the characters of Bess and George, whom she loves in the book, seemed wrong in the adaptation. She said... As soon as the side characters Bess and George were introduced, I was out. They seemed so unlike their original characters that I couldn't bring myself to watch more. It left me wanting more of Kelly Thompson's Nancy Drew run because, uh, in my opinion, that did a fantastic job of modernizing while staying true to the core of the characters. So I wonder for Monica and Sandy, who have read these as kids, what do you think about the idea of just modernizing it in general? Does it work? Does that make it weird to even start with because, you know, sort of a uh, it's the IP thing, right? We're just going to do this thing. We're going to call it Nancy Drew, but it's Nancy Drew name
4: I will say that I was so super excited to watch it that whenever Bess had an English accent, I was totally thrown off. And I think that it did take me a few episodes to let the characters breathe. And I think that one of the things that the writers have done an incredible job with is understanding when things work and when they don't work. And I, I, I thought that the update, you just had to wait for the characters to become their own rather than a, a simple version of the original originals but i mean even the idea of ned in the beginning was already her boyfriend and when we first meet him i believe it's a bedroom scene and it's just i was like oh okay that's fascinating because you don't normally associate these kinds of changes with what you are expecting from a young a young person's model but i think what they really did well was they made each character has thoroughly become flushed out with their own backstories so to speak that really does work but i I do think that it took me a few episodes to say I'm still going to watch it to because I liked Kennedy McCann. I really liked her. So I felt like I'm going to watch it for a couple more episodes and see if it pulls me in or not. And it really did. By the third episode, I, I was hooked. So that's my answer. I think that it is a little jarring because it isn't what you expect if you were already a fan. But I think that some people going in would have not thought twice. But the backstories that they created for these characters in a modern world was fascinating to me.
0: Mm-hmm. That thing that you said was where it's a bedroom scene. It's not even just a bedroom scene. It's a hookup. The first time you see Nancy and Ned in this show, they are taking a break to fuck on her lunch break. That is, she, they're bar- <laughs> they barely even take their clothes off. She's run over to his little crash pad apartment to have sex and not even having time to take off her waitress uniform. And then she's like, oh, that was great. Got to go back to work now. And that's like your introduction to these characters as if to say, you know, this is not <laughs> yeah. the wholesome little kid thing that you are expecting these are mm. characters who, ah, uh, that's, that's the show, right? Yep.
1: So It's a little hard because I haven't seen the show, but the thing that I can compare it to most directly for me is actually the Sabrina series. That's another one. I really grew up loving Sabrina the Teenage Witch, like the...
0: Melissa Joan Hart version? The Melissa
1: Joan Hart version with the, the talking puppet cat. Like, that... <laughs> I thought <laughs> that it era. was adorable, and I watched every episode, and as a kid, I just loved Sabrina. And then we got New Dark Sabrina. And in New Dark Sabrina, they do the same thing where she has an entirely different friend group. They rewrite Harvey as an entirely different character. Harvey and Sabrina break up like almost immediately. And for me, that was one where like I actually gave up on the series because it wasn't holding close enough for me to the IP that I had grown up loving. So I I really relate to the idea of Nancy. Drew not being the thing that you want it to be, and so I, I think mm-hmm. that it is this hard balance, though, because we are talking about in in the case of Sabrina and in the case of Nancy Drew, like we're talking about IP that is outdated, that mm-hmm. was stuck in these very narrow like gender constructs of how a young girl should behave, and these were written for children during a time in which these are mystery stories, but you are still sort of protecting childhood and dictating behavior and you're supposed to be learning how to behave while you're reading these books because they are like aimed at a children audience and there's a lot of things about that itself that does need to be updated when you do it for a modern audience and and so it's hard because I like I'm not a a TV writer and so I don't want to be the one who comes in and critiques how you should or should not modernize that process but I do think that there is an essential part of a character that you do have to hold on to that maybe for me for Harvey and Sabrina the reason that it didn't work is he always loved Sabrina. Unfortunately Harvey was never really fined as anything other than a little bit like wholesome and lovable and naive and kind of dumb and that was why you liked him in the original series and then in the new series that essence of somebody who's the idea of soulmate that you're always like pining for that was their whole story and that mm-hmm. was the thing that when they break up that's gone because he's now in a relationship with someone else that he like clearly cares about and loves and they do a really great job as writers writing what feels like a healthy believable good relationship that I want to be able to root for but can't because I'm still stuck inside the old IP.
3: And, we should and come so back I, to that think, yeah. that's gonna
0: matter for, um that's going to matter for Nancy Drew as well with the uh, Ned slash Nick is he renamed him for the TV show but the Nick story with Nancy and is very different than what I am to understand <laughs> Nick's slash Ned's places in the books. But before we get there, because I actually want to just ask something else. This is more for Corinne and Sandy again, because it's a YA lit question in general. Monica pointed at the this is something that, you know, you want to be enjoyable with the adaptation, but it is adapted from something that's supposed to be for children. And by four children, you you end up with these didactic stories. So I just want to know historically, how do you think that reconciles in YA fiction in general?
3: I was thinking about how it really matters that they made Nancy 19. So yeah. I think about YA fantasy a lot of the time. So like in alternate world fantasy you don't have the construct of high school that provides <laughs> a lot of limitations to um, like what yes. <laughs> yeah, but like it provides a lot of limitations to what kind of agency characters can feasibly have without you know, being truant. But Nancy here is then in this liminal space between childhood and adulthood where she's not grown like the superhero characters, but she's also not a high schooler. So So she exists both kind of as a teenager and an adult and is sort of crossing that boundary from innocent to not innocent anymore. And I haven't read the series, but I would imagine she maintains that childhood innocence in a lot of those books. But in this show, she is not innocent, both in being experienced, knowledgeable about sex, and then also being guilty of crimes. So she sort of challenges expectations of childhood innocence just because we are seeing her at 19 when she's like troubled and didn't go to college and all of those things. Mm-hmm.
4: I have a lot of comments related to that. I mean, <laughs> well, you're absolutely right in the idea, but you mentioned childhood several times in your response, and and I think that's one of the things that I like to teach with young adult literature, too, is the idea that there is a distinct separation between childhood mm-hmm. and young adult. So. And I think that in the beginning of literature, like around the To Kill a Mockingbird stage, where we could almost call that young adult literature, but it's not because the the heroine or the center of the story is literally a child. So I, I think that as it changed over time, young adults, you know, we started thinking of them as 15, 17, 18. But in the beginning, it really wasn't. Even if we think of the outsiders, you know, Ponyboy is younger, he's just starting. And I think that's one of the essential things that we have to keep in mind that it changes as well it's there's no fixed layer so that's why your answer Corinne, is right is that you know the childhood innocence really isn't the same thing today that it was back when those original books were being written and that's why in, in essence they had to update the story and i think that putting her at 19 i agree with you is important if they want to show these things because it's also giving her a little more flexibility to not be in high school to be able to go work at the police station to be able to go do other things that you know a typical high schooler wouldn't be able to do I always like to think of Luffy and Veronica Mars is kind of like that transition phase because Veronica starts going to college in Veronica Mars but that's also when the show lost a lot of popularity so it's it's really interesting when you think about not only the age of the characters in the story but also the age of the people that might be reading or watching it mm-hmm. because you mm-hmm. know we hold on to you know our assumptions about our favorite things I, I can tell you exactly where I was sitting in the bookstore when I would go to pick out the next Nancy Drew novel. There's an emotional connection to that for me. But then I have to realize when I pull my students, they don't read the same things that I read when I was younger. And it really challenges me to try to find other things within the spectrum that I think I can teach the history of young To Kill a Mockingbird or to talk about the outsiders as a big shift in time. But when I talk about things like Trixie Belden or Nancy Drew, their eyes kind of glaze over because that does not interest them. And and I think that's what we have to keep in mind is the audience for the new show was never like us. It was always the person coming in cold that might have watched Veronica Mars, maybe, or liked certain things like that, but probably has no connection to the books. And I think that the writers really took that seriously, especially when making decisions. I'm sure that's coming up next about Ned and yeah. we were going to go with that relationship. So, But I definitely think you're spot on with the idea of the innocence of childhood. I think it's just shifted over time with, with, with what we find true to where we are in society at,
3: at where we are now how right. old is Nancy in the original books I'm not actually sure
0: I was gonna answer that so this is weird okay so for someone who <laughs> had no experience with um this world prior to a week ago other than the most recent shows so I've been watching the Nancy Drew CW show for three years I had seen an occasional episode of the Nancy Drew and Hardy Boys TV show from the 70s uh way back and I had I think i i read like one Hardy Boys book as a kid. I'd seen the new Hulu Hardy Boys show I'd seen once or twice. So I, but like very mixed. I was just never into this. And I've spent the last week just doing this deep dive into the world of Nancy Drew and its history just to do this episode, because this is what I do. This is what I get fascinated by. All right. So how old is Nancy Drew? Good question. In the original Nancy Drew um, books, the very first Nancy Drew book is published in 1930. It is called Nancy Drew and the Secret Clock. It is written by Carolyn Keene, who is a person who does not exist. It is a pseudonym. And in that book, Nancy is 16 years Mm -hmm. old. Now, if you're a listener who's a big Nancy Drew fan and you're listening and you're saying not right, she's 18. Ah, yes. Because this is confusing. So, the book the Nancy Drew books were started in 1930 and Nancy is 16 years old. And for (laughs) books 1 through 34, she is 16 years old. In book number 35, she becomes 18 years old in order to be given a little more agency. Now, book number 35 is also the first one. So Carolyn Keene is actually a pen name for Mildred Benson, who is the woman hired by the company that owns Nancy Drew to write Nancy Drew books. Nancy Drew is actually invented by Edward Stratemeyer, who invented the Hardy Boys. Edward Stratemeyer was kind of a sexist asshole who, you know, really believed that women's place is in the home. like. he's he's very anti like girls doing like anything (laughs) but he finds out that girls are reading his Hardy Boys books and he really likes money so he's okay I kind of am (laughs) against women doing shit but I also want to be paid so what I'm going to do is I'm going to make a female version of the Hardy Boys to take money from girls (laughs) and he comes up with Nancy Drew and he hires a woman named Mildred Benson to write it under a pen name Carolyn Keene. It becomes super popular rivaling the popularity of, of the Hardy Boys because turns out girls like reading. Go figure So he does these books and he dies a few years later, but they keep hiring uh, Mildred Benson to continue writing these books. And she writes the first 34 or 35. She retires in 1953. So she does this for 20 years, 23 years. She retires. And after Stratemeyer had died, his daughter, Harriet Adams, takes over as the editor for the Nancy Drew series. And she becomes Mildred's boss. And when Mildred retires in 1953, Harriet Adams just becomes the a new writer for for the Nancy Drew books. she becomes the new Carolyn King and she writes a whole bunch of new books but she also takes to rewriting all of the old books that Mildred had already written because Nancy was how should I put it kind of racist. <laughs> Um, and they were and by 19 by the the mid 1950s this had become something of a problem to where people are like uh there's some you know even for 1954 some unflattering words about black people in these books we should probably fix that because they're children's books so harriet rewrites several of or all of them she rewrites all of them and she does a couple of things she makes she gets rid of all the racist things Uh, often she gets rid of the racist things by just sort of taking the black characters and just deciding they're white now. So it can't be racist. You know, Uh, you can be a lazy shift. You can be a lazy shiftless alcoholic if you're white and that's not racist, right? Yeah. So that happens in these books. <laughs> and she just does that. And then other times she massively rewrites the storyline to where some of the books. So book one, she just gets rid of like racist elements. And she also when she's updating it, she also decides that 16's a little too young to be solving mysteries. So she makes Nancy 18. She just updates her age and makes her an 18 year old who's just graduating from high school instead of still in high school. Minor change, but OK. And she also decides that she wants these books to be for young children. So she edits them down. They're averaging like 220, 240 pages. She edits them all down to 180 and she makes them simpler. She gets rid of things that she finds too explicit sexually and she decides she wants Nancy to be a goody two shoes. A lot of the readers actually thought that the original Nancy, the one from 1930, was like super feminist and like really progressive for 1930 because she, you know, she didn't take shit from any dudes, especially like not her dad or Ned. She drove a car by herself. She She solved dangerous mysteries. She carried a gun and wasn't afraid to use it. Like Nancy was hardcore, you know, except for the fact that she was kind of racist because it was 1930. So so they fix all that and they make her sweet and innocent. So it depends on what you want out of your Nancy Drew as to whether you like the 1930s version or the 1950s version. And the reason I learned all of this is because our co-host, Hannah, she started reading these as a kid and she read the 1950s one. First, So Hannah was nice enough, even though she's not on this episode, Hannah recorded a little audio bit, which I'm going to play, that's just about about what her thoughts were.
5: Nancy Drew holds a special place in my heart. In fact, I vividly remember reading the second book in the mystery stories, that is Nancy Drew and the Hidden Staircase, with my mother as a kid. It was the first chapter book I ever read, you see. The opening lines of the novel, Nancy Drew began peeling off her garden gloves, etc., etc., still stick in my brain. As does the embarrassing fact that I struggled to decipher the word peel from the page. I feel connected to my mother when I hold that book that we read together. This is the Nancy Drew novel that she read during her childhood. But there's something really interesting about The Hidden Staircase and, well, some of the other Nancy Drew mystery stories. The lines I just quoted from The Hidden Staircase are from a version of the book published in 1959, revised from the original 1930 edition. I discovered there were multiple versions of A Hidden Staircase a few years after I had originally read the novel. My parents bought me a new Nancy Drew set from Sam's, which is where I got book as a kid. And when I read this version of The Hidden Staircase, the story was quite different. It is only now in adulthood, with the help of research and the internet, that I know what was the old story, to me, wasn't the old one at all. It was the 1959 version, and the one I read later was the 19th version. And of course, there are adaptions of this novel, like the newest film version, that revised the story even further as well. So what's interesting to me about this memory is that these revisions of Nancy Drew were the first fictions that taught me that characters and even narratives are not immutable. And so the CW's version of Nancy Drew totally fits into the character's long history of revision and transformation.
0: So, yeah, (laughs) so that's what I learned this week. And it's crazy because then after I did that, I went and I watched the 1939 film version of Nancy Drew, The Hidden Staircase, which is sort of in between. She's you know, she is for a 1939 movie. She's got a lot of what I guess you'd call moxie (laughs) for for a dame, (laughs) you know, (laughs) like she's running around. She's ordering guys around Carson, her dad. Pretty much is just like real chill about the fact that his daughter's. I'm gonna go run off after this guy I think is a murderer. Can I get, can I borrow your gun in the car? And she's like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'll see you later. And she's like 16, and it's like and she just jumps in the car. You know, she's got this convertible. She jumps in there with with this pistol, which she doesn't know how to shoot. She has to go to Ted, is Ned's name in the film, and be like, ah, "How do I fire this here gun?" All right. And he shows her, and he's like, "All right, good luck, Nancy." And she's like, and everybody's just like real cool, Nancy, um, wandering around with this fucking gun that she just picked up. <laughs> <laughs> So, but yes, like Hannah said, there's a history of rebooting this character and she's not always been as sweet and innocent as I think, certainly I assumed that she had been.
1: I mean, you did sort of get me thinking, like, some of the first early silent serial films, like, were also sort of these caper stories because they were yeah. pretty easy to film in the allotted, like, real time. But a lot of them were also, like, featuring little, like, lucky female detective characters. So, I mean, Maybe we were not that far yeah off and in, in, in terms of this his, historical precedent for being like yeah run around with that gun girl
0: 16 she fakes a dude's suicide in the the first this movie is like 60 minutes long and so much happens like she breaks so many laws <laughs> and it's like crazy i i just i have questions about what do we even think of what is young adult literature right because clearly uh, mildred benson intends for her version of Nancy to be an inspiring story for teen girls. She's writing about a 16-year-old girl for 16-year-olds. And again, yeah, I'm saying she's kind of racist, but she's not, it's not like she's just throwing the N-word around left and right. She's as racist as you'd expect a, you know, a 16-year-old girl written by a middle-aged woman in 1930 to be, you know, middle-aged white woman to be. Like, that's, that's what she is, right? She is casually racist in a believable way. And she also writing to be a plucky, inspiring, you know, go-getter girl in a world where that's not normal. And I think that Harriet Adams tries to make that a, a little more tempered and a little more wholesome. After Harriet Adams gets old and dies and they start franchising it, then we end up with several different versions of the character. We have a version that is like in the Nancy Drew Clue crew where she's eight. And then we have Nancy Drew Girl Detective where she's, you know, a little more boy crazy. And like the series has struggled with lots and lots of reboots over the last, you know, from 1930 till 2022, you know, it's been 90 years. They've been trying to, you know, maintain relevancy and it changes quite a bit. And I think this this bothers some of their fans a lot where they're like, oh, how dare you change this Nancy Drew to, you know, something that wasn't mine, which seems weird, except that, you know, I read DC Comics and shit just reboots sometimes,
3: (laughs) you know, thing about Nancy is this plucky 16 year old that it kind of makes me think of is if you think about like Anne of Green Gables yes. and like Joe March because there is this history of female characters being allowed to be plucky and adventurous in children's literature but not when they're an adult they're only allowed to be plucky when they're younger like the example that especially stands out to me is Anne. Anne of Green Gables is very different than the Anne we see in like Anne of Avonlea. So Nancy kind of fits within that mold as a 16 year old as opposed to an 18 year old I kind of think
0: Mm -hmm. you're supposed to start getting serious so you can go make babies later like you're allowed to be adventurous when you're a teen I guess yeah you
3: gotta grow out of that childish nonsense (laughs) yeah Yeah. until you discover
2: the joys of men and babies and all that Mm -hmm. (laughs) mm-hmm (laughs)
0: Yeah, it's just once I learned all that, I I sort of started thinking, okay, so maybe the CW version is sort of a return to form more than anything, right? Like she's running around breaking laws. Mm -hmm. The Nancy on the CW is on the right side of the of justice, the wrong side of the law quite frequently. Like she has a healthy disrespect for authority and legality. Pretty much. (laughs) That's pretty. It's pretty established. I'm sorry, I'm I'm laughing because
2: I was just watching now I don't know which episode it was but she's there with Ryan and they're trying to you know they're trying to get into this house and she picks up a rock to just bash in a window and he's like whoa let's see if there's another a door open or another way in before you do that and, she, and her response is have you met me? <laughs>
0: yeah. <laughs> well yeah and that's kind of been the like the fact that she has no qualms whatsoever about her. in fact I think even on the show you know they she says I have a record and they're like you have a record and she's like yeah you know just some light B E, you know, like she's like she's like, yeah, breaking in a ring like you do, you know. Like that's just it's who she is. And I think that I don't know that I'd have a problem with it. All right, well, okay, I shouldn't say it that way. I would never have a problem with it. I don't know that anyone would have a problem with it if it weren't for the fact that they were comparing it to their ideal of this, right. you know, sweet little innocent goody two shoes, right? Nothing that Nancy does is anything that isn't done weekly on Riverdale and people complained about it on Riverdale because they want, you know, because they they want those characters to be sweet and innocent. But what about all the other CW shows, right? Arrow is, you know, people working outside the law in order to solve crimes, as is Kung Fu, right? As is Walker, Texas Ranger. That's what those shows are. And to, you know, to Sandy's point, Hunger Games, right? There's no law in the Hunger Games. Katniss kills people a lot. That's the show. I mean, that's the book. That's the movie. Like, I mean, Katniss I, kills people. I,
1: mean, I was, To go back even further, that's just the CW brand. It's, it's like becoming mm-hmm. this running joke where I'm like, I talk about Gossip Girl in every episode that I appear in, but Gossip Girl <laughs> took all of the, the like the critical bashing that were like, this show is not appropriate for teenagers. And it literally made it the advertisement on the posters. It, it, <laughs> the posters <laughs> for season two were just people making out and then what is this inappropriate trash garbage New York Times as like the quote. <laughs> like, that, that is what the CW is here for. That's what it wants. That's why you're tuning in. That's what you expect. I'll agree with that,
4: especially like you can think about any show on the CW that way. I have friends that are still angry that the new Superman and Lois show has teen kids because they're like, oh my God, it just had to fit on the CW, right? And that to me is very interesting in that, you know, they foresee their audience very particularly that they believe. I mean, I guess they forget that we're older than teenagers, but they think their audience is is the teenage realm, and you have to have that certain kind of a teenager or teenage experiences in these shows.
0: Superman and Lois is so good, too, though. If people aren't watching it, they should totally watch <laughs> Superman and Lois.
4: <laughs> I'm a big fan about that, too. Yeah.
0: So, all right. So, if we're going to watch this show, and which we all are,
4: it's there.
0: Yeah. Well, no, it's just okay. So, here's the thing it's good. And I like for everything, I don't, I'm trying to say this in a way that, that isn't putting down YA literature because I like a lot of YA. <laughs> literature right like I and I love the CW and frankly it doesn't need to be good for me to enjoy it in the CW I, I love Riverdale because of its insanity but even even for other shows on the CW you know just if you just hook me and you're amusing me like I know that there's nothing deep about Flash or Legends of Tomorrow Ooh. the 100 got real stupid at the end it got real <laughs> real bad and I was in the entire watch I've watched time I've watched all 100 episodes so you don't have to be great but I I would argue that Nancy Drew kind of is. They, they kind of have gone beyond. I'm not just watching it just because I want to see, you know, uh, they're real pretty. Like, I mean, the actress who plays who plays Nancy Drew is really pretty. The actor who plays Ned is really, or Nick is again on the show, is real pretty. And, you know, they're, by the way, Nick's a black dude, and that kind of says something given the racist history of, of the original character, which we can talk about. But everyone, Ace is pretty. Bess is pretty. It's a lot of It's a lot of, oh, my God, is everybody going to kiss now? And, you know, if you're if you've been watching this season, you know, like Ace and Nancy may be kissing soon. And oh, my God, I hope so, because, you know, if if they don't, why am I even here? Right. And then they and then there's even contrivances where you're like, oh, so Bess is a lesbian on the show and they, you know, and there are contrivances that they made for the show to give Bess a chance to kiss George. And you're like, yes, (laughs) you know, there's like the show is just crazy in that respect. And that's kind of what I showed up for. But But as of about, I don't know, sometime in the first season, like you watch it, Sandy, you even said yourself that, you know, there was this disconnect where, I don't know, you watch four or five episodes and then all of a sudden you're like, wait a minute, am I enjoying this? Is this show good?
4: (laughs) That's when you really realize that the writers have found what they were aiming for. It took a few episodes to get there, but the writers found it and it, it becomes an entirely standalone show that you don't need to have loved Nancy Drew or you didn't or you did love Nancy Drew hopefully you can find something awesome in the show itself and I will say that was also about the time I noticed Ace's hair and, and <laughs> I because I'm, I'm an Ace shipper definitely
0: he took off the baseball hat Ace, Ace was wearing yeah Ace for the first four or five episodes wears the backwards baseball hat and and you, and you he's just kind of dumpy until you realize oh he, he's also hot. But, yeah, I the hot
4: that was like they realized it like it, it's like they finally realized what to do with the characters and the strengths that the actors had and the strengths that the, the chemistry that the, the, the different characters had together. But that's the question I'm waiting for you to get to.
0: <laughs> no, uh, the, go ahead. Please. That, that That's the question. So I like in general, are you watching it? Are you watching it for the CW-ness of it for the, you know, or are you watching it for the, I don't know. I don't, I, I feel weird calling this show a guilty pleasure show in the way that I, you know, Riverdale, I, Riverdale, I think is deep, but I don't think most people do, right? I think that Riverdale is doing something special. I know Monica thinks Riverdale is doing something special because we've talked about it. But I get that most people who watch Riverdale are watching it because they want to see how far the train wreck can go, (laughs) right? Like they want to see how crazy this shit can get. And I don't think that's what Nancy Drew is. I think Nancy Drew is what you just said. If you don't have any prior history with this, which I have very little of, you can just watch it as, oh my God, this is a really good detective show. This could have been what Veronica Mars was, right? Like this could have been a brand new prop Property with no history whatsoever. And I think I'd still t- be totally in. at least I would be. I mean, would everybody else? I would be.
2: I don't know that I necessarily watch it for the CWness of it. I mean, I don't know that I think of it that way, but <laughs> to me, and it may just be because I don't have a huge back history with Nancy Drew that, that it's just, well, this is just the character. And maybe it is too also because as a comics reader, I'm used to interpretations of the character because I thought the same thing you did of I had this image in my mind of this goody two shoes character and I thought oh well you know I I did for a moment I was like what are they going to do to this but then I watched it and it was it doesn't the other versions don't matter because this is its own version you know just like Mm -hmm. when a new writer takes over and needs to go into the you know old new direction you know TM (laughs) that it's okay no but that's just me I mean I like the spooky weird stuff so that that's the part
3: that I like
0: (laughs) Corinne why'd you start watching it because you you said you are typically not into the grounded things that much? You you want fantasy? Yeah, that's,
3: that's a good question. So I think I picked it up because I was in a really big watch everything on the CW phase and I was like, oh, well, I'm out of things. I might as well try this. <laughs> and the only expectation that I had was that Nancy Drew is a plucky detective. <laughs> and that was my full expectations. And then I think I grew to really like the dynamic between the five main characters and their sort of friendship and chemistry. But I will also say that I was initially very like surprised and a little bit off put by all the ghost stuff because I'm a big old scaredy cat and (laughs) I'm not and I did not sign up for that so I'm not (laughs) actually sure why it stuck with me but it did and I like and going back and watching season two now because I haven't picked it up since season one ended I think it really is the chemistry between Mm -hmm. the characters and also how quickly the plot moves like they do a really good job with pacing that I'm never bored and I'm not one Wondering too much what's gonna happen next and I'm never really ahead of the characters and figuring out what's next either
0: yeah anytime where I feel like I know stuff that they don't know I agree I think I know stuff that they don't know because the show wants it to be dramatically ironic the show wants viewers to watch it and I don't feel like I'm figuring stuff out just because you know brainy lit scholar who knows how narrative <laughs> works I don't feel like I'm I don't feel I, it, it's not a kind of thing where I'm like yeah okay obviously and I'm cheating. I feel like I feel like I'm on board with the show, even if I'm beyond the characters. So is that fair? I I think Mm. that's true in general, which is a problem when you're when you read books for a living, it it gets to be an issue. (laughs) (laughs)
3: Well, and the appeal of Nancy has to be that she's super smart and is like always thinking 10 steps ahead. So like they can't let us get too far ahead of her for too long. Otherwise, she's not Nancy anymore.
0: Which is which is a criticism of her in some of the reboots. So the Original Nancy Drew series. Again, I've done my <laughs> research here. The original Nancy Drew series runs hundred and seventy some odd books from from nineteen thirty until two thousand three, and then they stop that continuity and they you know they reboot it. They Crisis on Infinite Earths, everything you know, and
3: <laughs> to it, and then
0: like and then Nancy Drew and the Hardy Boys both reboot in two thousand three, and it becomes Nancy Drew Girl Detective. And I've not read any of these. This is just me reading reviews of them. The, Complaint seems to be, why is she so stupid? Oh my God, people hate this series. <laughs> like the fans are just like, what the actual fuck? She's um apparently vain. Like they're they do, they've updated her. She has a cell phone, you know, she knows what computers are. Like they're not she's not trapped in the 1930s, but she's dumb in ways that people are like, Boys are not that important, Nancy. Please stop. <laughs> and and she and and so then they rebooted again in 2012, um, 2013. And the current series is called Nancy Drew Diaries and I couldn't find that much information on that as to whether people are sort of into it or not I think that it's just it's it was 2013 it's now 2022 and you know how much do you can you really expect a 14 year old girl today to be into this property from literally before her grandparents were born you know (laughs) like it's that old right like she's not as into it as they're trying to keep it current but also I think the creators have grown up in this world where they are trying to keep to these sensibilities of the 1950s version of the character, not the 1930s version. But that was a long time ago, right? Like, if you're going to write these books about a girl detective who is a good girl, who doesn't get into trouble. She's the perfect daughter. She loves her dad. She certainly doesn't do drugs or sex. You know, you're going to do all that. Like, how interesting is that in a world of Hunger Games and Maze Runners and Harry Potters? You know, do you need this anymore? And if you do and if you do need it then maybe what you get is the CW show because the film the the Sophia Lillis film which it did not do well. In 2019 they tried to reboot the film series, the Nancy Drew film series. They and they made one Sophia Lillis, the girl from it and it was a film adaptation of the Hidden Staircase. Ellen DeGeneres produced it. It has a budget of 17 million dollars and it grossed 900,000 dollars worldwide. 946,000
2: dollars. last, but I mean <laughs>
0: this. <laughs> yeah.
2: <laughs> Not good. Yeah,
0: this isn't a, this isn't a bit. Now it has a, it has an okay rating on, uh, on Rotten. It has a 73% with 26 reviews, but it lost $16 million on a $17 million budget. It, it 17, uh, you know, $900,000 worldwide, $600,000 in the U S that means they opened this, they opened this too wide release and no one went to go see it. That means it was just plain to empty theaters. Literally no one showed up and they were trying to start a new franchise with this. And just just no one cared. And they tried to start this the same year that they started this TV series that we're raving about. I think they were just like, oh, we'll have them running concurrent, have a movie series and then people, you know, for the young kids and then we'll have this CW show just for people who like seeing the sex And it. No one went to go see this. So I did. Oh, you did? Okay. Well, was there anybody else in the theater?
4: No, there was nobody.
0: <laughs>
4: but I can tell you my thoughts on that because at the same time that I had Gone to see the movie. I don't remember if it was before or after, you know, pandemic brain time has escaped me on where we are in time. Sure, sure. But I remember going very excitedly to the New York Comic Con panel for Nancy Drew, where they were going to show some clips and have the writers talk. They did not have any of the stars there, which I found interesting. But the writers got really in depth about choices that they had made and, and why this was written for a specific audience of people who liked scary. Like they kept emphasizing scary stories to tell. Hell in the dark. And, and I remember thinking, well, I never really thought of Nehru being scary per se from my end, but I like it because that's my bent of, of things that I like to read. I'm also like, I think it was Corinne that says she really likes the supernatural stuff. That's my area where I really like to read the supernatural stuff as well. So when I went to see the movie, I actually had to look at my watch several times during the movie because I <laughs> that the, the movie, she's a great actress. I think she's very compelling on screen. She holds the screen very well. You could tell that it had a plot and writing, but it was written like for a 10 year old. And I watch things for younger people. Like I do deliberately. Sometimes I joke with my class that I watch it because I want to see what the kids today are watching. And that was not it. And I think that was the problem is that Nancy Drew, they wanted to make her younger, I think, for money purposes. We talk about the, the reasons why people do things. They wanted to make her young enough that they could have the character and the to stick around for numerous sequels. So they thought, well, we'll make her younger so that then the, the, she can grow like Harry Potter together, mm-hmm. you know, with mm-hmm. the audience. But I think that they took out the idea that now she can't really go do anything because she's like a child. And <laughs> deliberately a child as opposed to teenager. You know? And w- when you compare that to what the writers were saying at the New York Comic-Con panel, they were really adamant about the idea that this is going to be about a mystery, it's going to be about a detective, and it's going to be about scary stories. And, and of course, you could tell which one I liked better, but I thought that was really mm. interesting. And and I also think like, we still haven't talked about the character changes. And, yeah, I,
0: please. and Let's I, do I, that. I
4: think that we have to talk about like the idea that not many shows are willing to say, like we, we started a path and, and it's not working. Now we're going to change the path. Not many, like they, they will go along that route. And I always think of Veronica Mars as a really good example, interestingly enough of this, that Veronica Mars was supposed to have this grand epic love story with her high school boyfriend. Duncan and you know it didn't really work there was no chemistry and this quirky guy that was the, the sidekick who was just supposed to be an occasional antagonist becomes the one that the sparks fly on screen and the writers were willing to say you know what let's pursue this and I think that's also one of the reasons why this CW show has been popular is that the writers kind of realized what was working as they're doing it so that they could make changes that have gotten us to where we are now where I think they really have a nice tight form for how they are designing the show. And one of those being that the relationship with Nick didn't work.
0: So I find it interesting because I have no actual love for the previous versions. Like I said, I've seen the 70s version a bit, and I've now watched one episode of the reboot from like 2005. But I I was not a big fan of this. So when you suddenly make these changes that I think people, not as much as so as like comic geeks. I think Nancy Drew fans might have been a little more forgiving but I saw a lot of complaints that were very similar to the, why does everything on the CW have to be so woke, you know because oh. <laughs> there really was there really were some changes that were diversity for div- diversity's sake in casting, which is to say we have a black version of Nit and an Asian version of George for people who have never seen the show before and, and are listening to us, George is a, a girl in Nancy Druid, so, so uh, yeah. short for Georgia, I believe, is her actual name, yeah. but but she's in on the show, she She's she's just called George. She's frequently just called George in the books and in on the show. I don't know about the original books, but she's got siblings, all of whom are girls with boys' names. So she's got a sister named Ted, a sister named Jessie. Like they, they all have, they all have ambiguous, at least am, gender ambiguous, if not outwardly masculine names. That's the uh, part of the gimmick of her family. But they've changed her from George Fane to jo- to George Fan in order to make her Asian. Ned Nickerson goes by Nick here, though Ned is his first name and he is now a black guy Bess marvin who is nancy's other best friend besides george is still white but and she's gone from being boy crazy to being a lesbian these are things that get added to the show and i think in some respect it feels like well they're just doing this because they want to cater to everybody how dare they you know which is a com- common complaint that these things get but those changes to me as somebody who has no previous love to it feel super mm-hmm. organic and exactly what you're saying has happened they you you know when the nick relationship with nancy doesn't quite work out the way they want it to they pivot and the story is now about nick's relationship with george and i'm kind of into it right like i i understand that like you've read 170 books where, where nick and, and and nancy are you know in a relationship so you want it to work out <laughs> I don't i i i I like i mean i I like like him with george and like now we've you know we've written i don't want to ruin this for anybody who's not caught up but we've written drama into george and nick's relationship where you know they're not currently together on the show and i'm super invested and i need them to be right like i like no fix it you know you've done something wrong (laughs) fix it you know to both of them you know you guys need to be be, be together you belong together because the chemistry does work both with the actors and with the storyline
4: but that's what they're doing incredibly well i think is that we do genuinely want them to be together. But now look at, without making it an overt, let me preach to you for five minutes, you know, seventh heaven lesson. It's, you know, let's talk about what happens when you are part of a family and people rely on you and then you break up. And then those children now think, well, he doesn't like me anymore. Like without making it an overt message, they're actually dealing with real life issues that happen all of the time. You know, and I don't know that getting married at 19 or 20 is... Is necessarily the best choice, always. You know, I'm not judging either way, but I think that the fact that George was like, I really want to grow myself before I grow with someone else. I feel like that was just such a powerful story. Yes. I really liked
0: it. And I also like, so, okay, okay, spoilers for the third season of Nancy. Spoiler alert. <laughs> Spoilers. One of the things that has been an issue for the last couple of seasons was George was dying. She had, you know, she knew that she had exactly 10 years left to live. So she wanted to get married so she could spend all of them with Nick if she could. And then they save her. They managed to save her. She's no longer dying. She's going to live a normal life like everybody else. We don't know. You know, she could die tomorrow. She could die 70 years from now. So now she's maybe I don't want to get married right away. I still love you, but I'm 19 years old, dude. And you know, uh, I, I, you know, I, I hope we end up together, but I kind of, he's like, you want to see other people? And she's, I don't know, maybe. I've uh, and, she, and she says in a very grown up way, I'm 19 years old. Other than you, every boy that I've ever dated was horrible to me and wrong for me. And I've made a lot of really bad decisions. And I need to be able to learn what relationships are about without, you know, this clock taking over my head. So I kind of want to <laughs> slow things down. It's a very grown up decision. And I understand why she did. It. And he takes it incredibly poorly. He's really struggling with it, which he should be. It is a very believable storyline. I mean, other than the magic stuff that, you know, had her dying in the first place, like their relationship has been super relatable and understandable. Like I get why he's trying to be the good guy and he's trying to say, I can't force you to be in a relationship, but he's super depressed and super struggling and he should be. And it, it makes sense. And you feel bad for both of them. You, I feel bad for George. I feel bad for Nick. And if
4: you think about the other relationships that they're currently showing in season three there's the police detective and the fact that you know she has feelings for him and then she has a whole conversation where she basically comes out and says you know i don't regret anything that happened between us which was sex in a coat closet i really mean that i want to be in a relationship with you and and again you know having a role model to show that sex is good and normal and if you're careful like this can be a joy in life but without also making it seem like now i have to be in a relationship with you and you have to be my boyfriend, I think is also a very interesting storyline for teens to see that not everything is one way that it has to fit in a certain mold, in other words. And I think that the way they're setting up all of those storylines with relationships, I think it's the best part of the show for me.
0: I wonder, you know, for Corinne, because it's, you know, your entire show is this, right? <laughs> it's talking about these issues. <laughs> but like with Nancy being that way, one of the most interesting things about her to me, she is an extreme. Sexually confident 19 year old. <laughs> Like she'll have sex in a coat closet. She'll have sex on our lunch (laughs) break. You know, she, uh, uh, and there's a whole episode, which I don't think we're yet because you're only in season two. There's a whole episode where she's applying to college and she's sort of, I will not apologize for having bikini pictures of myself on Instagram. Like she's barely
3: watched that episode. Yeah. Okay.
0: (laughs) Okay. So, yeah. So there's, this is who she is. And she's, she is, she will acknowledge when she's horny and she will say, look, okay. We hooked up and it was great. Not mad about it, but like you said, this is, I'm I'm not marrying you either. That's kind of a, you know, the show refuses to (laughs) slut shamer. And yet it is a reasonable look at a, you know, adult but 19 year old woman who is figuring shit out. Like it's sort of refreshing, especially given that that the opposite relationship that we've spent most of the time with has been George and and Nick, who were engaged at 19. I, I think it's, sort of refreshing to see the main character struggling sexually to figure out what she wants. You know, not she's struggling with her sexuality not in a am I gay way, but just in a, you know, how inside who I want to screw in not kind of way. Mm-hmm. So, yeah,
3: I think it is really interesting how, well, cuz Nancy does have a fair bit of sex, but I wonder how much of that and again not being caught up is we originally we have her, you know, having a quickie with Ned just to open it and I feel like some of that is just shock value. This isn't the Nancy you knew, whatever, like very CW. But there's a way in which Nancy's sexual relationships, to me, make her feel older than 19. And I'm not really sure why that is. But I think her struggle isn't with, like, her sexual relationships, but more with commitment. And I'm also thinking here about, like, the various ghosts that they deal with that have had also been perhaps punished for their sexual relationships in some ways. Like, thinking about, like, Lucy Sable and the Aglicka. And I just watched the episode with the chastity wedding dress or whatever that yeah. like nets <laughs> women's lust. So there, I think the show is sort of trying, struggling with grappling these conventions of women's sexuality and I don't know The Last Girl and all of these like horror conventions with wanting to be open and affirming about Nancy like being able to have sex and not die for it and these other sort of trends. And I'd be interested what y'all think having seen more of the show and what they do with more of that.
2: Well I'll say that Nancy was more together at 19 than I I was but I mean I it is interesting the way they handle her sexuality I mean the because you're right she is very sort of clear and confident if she wants to you know get busy in the coat closet go for it and that's all it is but at the same time to me it sort of underscores her detachment her fear of commitment that she is afraid to commit because of the people that she's lost and the things that she's found out and so it's not shaming her for the sex but I think it's I mean, it's sort of looking at it as what else does this say about her? I like looking at it that way as you know, what else is this revealing about her character? And it's almost, I <laughs> almost play it. I mean, sort of stereotypically masculine, right? Because that's what a, a male character could do is just have sex with somebody, and it wouldn't be a big deal.
0: She is yes. every hardboiled detective. She is a, Sam Spade yes. does this all the time, right? Like you can totally have sex with the the femme fatale yes. who might be the villain, and so and Nancy. I think
2: that's I think that's refreshing. I mean, like we've mentioned before that, I mean, it gives her agency, but also it's you know like you said about the whole Gossip Girl thing and how they're you know using sort of the scandal. But it's like for God's sakes, people, it's just I mean it's just sex. It's, why does it have to be mm. a big deal if she wants to just have sex with this guy? Let her. You know, sort of normalizing it a little. I think
0: is that something they get away with because it's CW, right? Like and this is weird because the CW is building this reputation of you know it's <laughs> the Gossip Girl network, right? Like it's the network where all shows are. I 90210. Arrow is 90210. You know, Nancy Drew is 90210. Riverdale is 90210. Uh, 90210, when it was on the CW, was 90210, right? All shows are about sexy.
2: I never watched 90210, so I'll take your word for it. <laughs>
0: Well, but they're, you know, they've made sexy 20 something soap operas mm-hmm. their business. And it's weird because that's the YA that we're trying to build with CW. And I think that some of the the pushback with something like Nancy Drew or Riverdale is that we have this idea of it as wholesome entertainment. And so heaven forbid, we are acknowledging a show about a 19 year old woman who wants to get laid sometimes. I mean, because I mean, that's the weirdness of it right but i don't think that's actually weird because you've had I don't know, happy days right happy days was a show all about teens getting <laughs> laid like it was a comedy from a billion years ago but that's what it's about like they go back and watch some of them like all richie does and richie's <laughs> the good kid i mean like, i know people think of Fonz as the dangerous kid but richie is having sex constantly on happy <laughs> days that's what it's about it, it's, it, if you've not watched it in a long time that shows from 50 years ago 40 something years ago and that's what they do is they're you know they're hooking up at lover's point you know in their cars that's the show and so I don't think the sexual not wholesome aspect of it is as shocking or innovative as we sort of pretend it is I mean yes I get that she's you know she's a girl instead of a boy but also I named happy days Laverne and Shirley same thing right same characters the same age from the 70s and it was and they were sexually liberated charlie's angels uh, same kind of show like we've you know we've done this before is nancy drew only questionable because of this idea of this goody two shoes character who is you know really only one incarnation of it it's just the one that we convinced ourselves was the primary nancy not like nancy drew on campus was this whole series that ran from the 80s through the 90s so you know 30 years ago and it had her having sex like it had her breaking up with with, with Ned and having relationships with other college boys, that's what that series was about. Well, okay, now kids wait a minute. or
2: who's saying this? I mean, because I don't look at it and think, "Oh my god!" I mean, I just to me, it's yeah, okay. I mean,
0: every think piece I can find on the internet is okay. Oh my okay. god, that's Nancy's where, having that's sex. That's what now. I wanted. Like you said where? Uh, where uh, where are you looking at? Yeah.
2: Well, first of all, I would say part of that right. problem is you're looking at Be- the internet.
0: <laughs> okay, fair. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Sure. But I mean,
0: Corinne said that first episode, you know, we opened with her having a quickie <laughs> with with Nick for shock value. For uh, like the show is aware of the image. The show is trying to say this is not Nancy that <laughs> your parents read, except it kind of is the Nancy your parents read. It's not, you know, it's not, the, it's not the Nancy your parents read when they were 10, but it might be the Nancy your parents read when they were 16.
4: Well, let me chime in there just a little bit that I truly believe that they started off with the scandalous image but I, I believe they had every intention of he's the bad boy. Nancy, you shouldn't be hanging out with him. Remember, he was in jail. And and I think they were going to build it that this was going to be the epic relationship of the series. It's just mm-hmm. it didn't work.
0: OK, so you think it's just you think they just pivoted because he doesn't have the chemistry with her. Like, I mean, it's not that they have it's I not that they have the don't have chemistry because the I think they make good friends.
4: I, I posted a couple articles where the writers talked about that, that they mm-hmm. saw that wasn't necessarily working and that they wanted to create a better epic love story for her and I was worried in season two that it was the, that other guy that then ended up getting killed up I can't even remember his name now he was
0: yeah that's his cousin yeah. I don't remember his name either yeah,
4: but like then I was like oh no because that's not the guy you know but because I was oh, an East yeah. fan but like I think they gave him a bigger and bigger part because they realized people like me I guess were watching it going hey that kid over there in the corner with the computer skills is kind of nice <laughs> I think that they were allowing themselves room to change and grow, which I think is what would kill the show if they didn't do that. And instead they went, okay, well, let's see where we can go with this. And that's how the, the show changed. But I do believe back in like the first three or four episodes, that's where they were intending to go. And my Nick had such a big part in the beginning.
2: Mm-hmm. With Possibly. you on the whole ace thing. He's my favorite. Just saying.
4: <laughs> Thank you, Nicole. Yeah, I mean, whenever he but like says anything on the show, I'm I'm like immediately entranced because it's just he's got that thing, you know? And the fact that Nancy doesn't see it, I think is the best part is that it really took like other people, like we saw it as opposed to her seeing it. And I think that also was realistic for me is it wasn't like, oh, let's find another guy. Ding, that's the guy. Like they they built it where, you know, she just had sex in a coat closet with someone else because she genuinely felt that. It wasn't just that, oh, I'm trying to get back at somebody or, you know, oh, I think that, you you know, Ace doesn't like me today. It was a, it, she's got her own issues to deal with and her own growing to do. And I think that if I'm gonna say one thing that I think separates Nancy as a character from other like young adult, like novels, is that, you know, in the beginning of a young adult novel, you usually know that there's two guys, one's blonde, <laughs> one's dark hair, you know, <laughs> and, and like a, a long triangle between the three of them. And with this, you didn't see it coming. And I think that made it feel more like real life and more organic. And I think that that's why, like, you also identified, uh, Mav, with George and Nick, because it felt very organic and their relationship felt very layered and real. So, and and, and the, it still manages to deal with real life issues at the same time, like when Bess was homeless for a while. You know, I really like that it's not hitting you over the head with the theme of the week homelessness, but it will create ways to talk about or think about real life issues that we should be thinking about in the middle of a, senior, you know, teen drama.
0: Fair enough. So- Beyond the sex stuff and the CW-ness of it all, I think the other big change for the show has been how supernatural it is. Both the original show, Supernatural, but also Supernatural, just not, you know, not grounded because it, what works for me about it is like The X-Files. It is a very gritty, realistic show, but the mystical element of it seems so normal and was natural and gradual because you are talking about... The like the shifts in tone where we suddenly decided we're going to not have Nick and Nancy be the number one relationship. I feel like the gradual addition of all of the ghost stuff, it caught me by surprise. I didn't, I don't know when I realized I was watching a story, right? Like they were very grounded mysteries at first. And then all of a sudden it's, Hey, look, ghosts are real. And to the point where now in season three, when detective, I'm not the right boy for you, um, what's his what's his name what is his name i don't remember but it's, i
1: don't even remember his name
0: <laughs> yeah like, he do not so, need
1: a name I, after that the point where I we're going to rename okay, people again, using that i watched formula. the show
0: last night i'm caught up I, I i watched the most recent episode when it dropped last night as we record as we're as this episode is dropping for our listener the season finale is just gone i've watched every episode of the show i love it i don't remember his name detective i'm not the right boy for you like you? <laughs> He, did. when he finally learns that there's um, yeah but w- well, when he finally learns that there's supernatural stuff going on and they're like okay so you know we're just going to go do a seance we're going to do an exorcism we're going to do this and he's like does this stuff happen to you guys a lot and they're like oh yeah all the time no problem we're going to do a magical ritual are you in or are you going to be in the way because you've got to go do this now and it's mm-hmm. just and it's it, that's almost played for laughs and yet as a viewer I was like yeah I'm with you you know <laughs> keep up you know <laughs> like it ghost to real we've moved yeah. past that two seasons <laughs> ago so, so you need to be on board or you you need to be on board or you need to get out of the way
2: reminds me of that to that line from buffy oh yeah vampires are real buffy fights them yeah
0: yeah and it's just like this is the story so you know deal with it and corinne you Mm -hmm. write about supernatural ya fiction and i'm asking i guess is that different than a hunger games because you've got a lot of supernatural ya fiction that's out there now as you know as both book properties but also television and film And this is walking a weird line, I think, because I really do feel like it tried to be grounded at first and just sort of subtly shifted in.
3: Building Sandy's point earlier that the show kind of was able to roll with what was working and let go of what wasn't. I feel like since I'm just watching season two and hadn't really watched it since I finished season one, which was, you know, they had to rapidly wrap up filming as the pandemic started. I feel like they did a really good job, actually, of the break that necessitated to think about, okay, this is... what was working. We have this ghost stuff that apparently is sticking way more than we thought it was going to. How can (laughs) we set that up to be sustainable beyond this one sea ghost that wants to kill them very badly? And I feel like it's not sustainable for a whole 22 episode or 18 episode season to have it be like, and we're trying to break this one death curse that we under with Nancy accidentally opening all the vaults in the historical thing and like letting a bunch of stuff loose. I think Mm -hmm. they were able to plan for that and allow the lot room to breathe where you can have kind of this supernatural mystery of the week that sometimes is supernatural and sometimes is not and be able to ramp up the stakes over the course of the season. But yeah, I think they did a really good job of pivoting in an unexpected way based on what was working during that season one, season two break.
0: For me, maybe my favorite episode of the series is there's an episode where Nick wanders into a supernatural thing that it's one of those things where if you know the name of the demon, he'll kill you. So he has to cast a spell that gives himself amnesia. So he does. And then everybody else also learns the name. So then they all have to cast the spell and give themselves amnesia and then they keep accidentally learning <laughs> the name yeah. and having to re-amnesia <laughs> themselves. <laughs> and and it, it is, as ridiculous as this sounds, it was great because what I loved about it was they all play their characters, their personalities remain, even though they've got no memory and they're still friends and they have to sort of figure things out. And they, you know, with no memory, they sort of naturally figure out that Nancy is the smart, you know, and there's this a <laughs> attraction between Bess and ace which was there from the very beginning and their best friends and then all of a sudden it's like, oh but you're gay okay I guess we're not gonna hook up then <laughs> you know and it's just little <laughs> little details like that have really made the show for me because one of the things that like I love the relationship you said you're shipping ace and Nancy I love the relationship between ace and Bess I love that you know he was like I really like you and then when she's like, oh, I'm a lesbian he's like all right well that kind of sucks because I guess we're not going to do it, but I still really like you. And that's been mm-hmm. the, been their story. Mm-hmm. So, oh, that's so, too. yeah. So I, I think the supernaturalness of it for me, it, if it anything, it, it, I feel like it underscores the natural relationships in a way that is sort of refreshing. I didn't know I was watching a supernatural show. So I'm not counting. I'm not concentrating so much on figuring out the ghost of the week so much as a, these are people who fight ghosts of the week and they still got to work out these human, In relationships like I'm I am very invested in whether or not Carson's new date you know his Carson is Nancy's father and you know he is a minor character on the show but I really want his love life to work out with his new you know his new girlfriend and I'm invested in it because you know even though we see him every couple of episodes where he just hops in to help fight ghosts every once in a while and give them some legal advice (laughs) like it's allowed me you know to not be focused on it as a sci-fi fantasy show it's allowed me to be focused on it as a soap opera and I like that.
3: So it kind of sounds like because it's a Nancy Drew show, you maybe came for the mystery sort of maybe, but then stayed for the characters and then got some ghosts thrown in.
0: Yeah, yeah. I think that's a pretty good way of thinking about it. And it was and it felt sneaky. Like Mm -hmm. it it felt sneaky. And I, you know, I wonder if the people who haven't given it a chance, are they not giving it a chance because who wants to watch this stupid Nancy Drew show? Like, I feel like there's a little bit of of an unfortunate. Well, but that's a show for little girls. And I don't and I mean, little girls, a women's fiction is always going to be derided by, you know, oh, as though God, it's a special a thing servant. and not just fiction. And that's a problem. That, but I mean, that's a problem. Right. But I mean, but I think in addition to that, there's a it's women's fiction and it's girls fiction. So it's really kind of a I think that there's an attempt to sort of ignore the show because it's for children that I don't think is fair. And I, you know, I like that it's soap opera, but I don't think it's just a soap opera. And I say that it's a Days of Our Lives fan. Right. I don't think it's soap opera in the same way as Dynasty or Gossip Girl or Days or General Hospital I think it's just a good show I mean so the the
1: CW in recent years has especially with all of the superhero stuff but has really talked about how they are attempting to make a a more sort of 50-50 split when it comes to their viewing audience and gender like specifically as a response to the fact that it was seen as like a more female network originally And, and so it is interesting Mm -hmm. that it's still sort of getting grouped in despite all of the very conscious network branding in order to do exactly the opposite.
4: I usually say this about Roswell, but I also think it's true for Nancy Drew that I always say there's a lot of shows out there that have wanted to be the next X-Files show. And it's funny because Mm -hmm. we have mentioned the X-Files, which is my personal favorite show of all time, several times already today about the idea of how like episodes are constructed or the use of the supernatural in the detective mystery concept. But I always say, if you liked The X-Files, you should try Roswell or you should try Nancy Drew. Because I think the things that that we assume to have happened, like Roswell was also based on a young adult series of novels and it had a successful TV run like 20 years ago. I I feel very old saying that it was like 20 years ago. But what they did was they updated the age of the characters to not necessarily even be teens in that show, but in a way that the updates are very similar between the way they did that show and nancy drew and i think that their marketing ne- might necessarily need an update too to try to get other viewers beyond the ones that will do name recognition
0: <laughs> so we've resolved nothing
1: hopefully we've resolved <laughs> that we've talked people into giving nancy drew show a chance well, I you're, like, the, you're the, i mean yeah i'm the target audience here because everyone yeah. else has been talked <laughs> into it but i feel like at least for me we've talked me into it maybe not for the reasons that we would think because i actually do not love the supernatural genre as the adjective, uh-huh. but I think we've talked me into it for the same reasons that we've talked me into Riverdale, so.
0: <laughs> and, and it's a very different show uh, than Riverdale, I mean, as we said from the very beginning. it. I, I mean, I wonder if I wonder if marking it as though it were the next Riverdale maybe hurt it in some ways, because if you'd gotten sick of Riverdale, you might not have given it a chance, even if, you know, I think for me and for Corinne, that's how they got me, right? Like, I was just watching everything on the CW. And it's like, mm-hmm. and I really did just I went in thinking, oh, OK, yeah, I'll watch more of this thing with uh, Riverdale is. And then it was sort of those first couple episodes were like, well, this is awfully grounded and serious, other than the fact that it happens to be Nancy Drew. And oh, my God, I forgot to mention that, like, eventually the Bobsy twins show up, like I said, which is just ridiculous. So other than that, I mean, you know, we kind of was- danced
1: around it. But when we talk about network identity and on this podcast, we end up talking about like CW network identity a lot. But that's the thing that exists on every television network is you know that you're gonna go to Fox for a bunch of stupid comedies. You know, like that's just-
0: CBS's shows for Uh, old people. Yeah,
1: like network has identity and there is a sense of, especially if we think about, like I wanna bring up Stargirl as as a really good example of something that like sits on the CW and also on DC as like this co property. The thing that originally brought people to be like, I don't know about is it feels much younger. It doesn't feel like it fits the network identity. And I think maybe Mm -hmm. in this streaming era it's an idea that we need to start to step away from like the idea that we things don't have to have network identity mm. in the way that I, I would argue that like Netflix's network identity is just that they throw a bunch of money at it but other than that there isn't necessarily that same connective thread of expectation that you have the way that you do with a CW so i think as things move forward we're going to be able to let go of that sort of outdated attachment a little bit more to just view things as their own individual properties and so yeah maybe there is. So. Is a sense of like the more that we do that the more that we can accept things like nancy drew as not being verdale and not being x-files and not being supernatural but just I, being nancy drew
0: i hope so but i also i know that any given evening i can turn on the cw and someone pretty is going to be on tv like i like i do you know as far as their identities go i've you know the fact that i Keep can have pretty. a legitimate crush yeah <laughs> i mean i can have a legitimate crush on every single person on the show is i'm like oh yeah okay this is good i i, I want that to stay true. anyway thank you all for joining us <laughs> on this i want to go with sandy first because you're the new person sandy if people want to learn more about you where could they find out more about you or or follow interesting things that you've done
4: i i like to write about using pop culture in the classroom so you can find me on amazon i do have a series of books you know how to use these very interesting facets in the classroom and i also have a twitter handle at s underscore eckard so yeah you can always find me there
0: we'll link to you in the show notes um, and- and Nicole. Same
4: as
2: usual. I am on Twitter, although I'm just not that funny. Other than that, I'm if you're interested in popular culture at all, uh, I I can be your point of contact for the National Popular Culture Association or I can direct <laughs> you to local if you're looking for regional popular culture conferences. So free to look me up for that. You should
0: go we, to the national one, which is in as this drops yes. three months ago, uh, submissions, uh, have closed. submissions are closed now. Uh, but we, like...
2: It's in April, I think. 13th to the 16th. It is virtual again this year. Just sort of an abundance of caution. But you can, even if you're not presenting a paper, you can register and then you can see all the panels you want. And we do record the panels Mm -hmm. and they are stored on the platform for a number of months. So, you know, you can spend your summer listening to pop culture papers about all (laughs) kinds of things.
0: Several of us will Mm -hmm. be there presenting. I look forward to it every every year. It's my a personal favorite conference it is one of the many reasons why this show exists we will probably do a show as we have the last couple of years we'll probably do a show you know i guess from there is kind of weird in a virtual essence because we'll be from there in the exact same way as this show is from anywhere but we'll do it we'll do a show related to it in april so but yes definitely check that out definitely link in the show notes and corinne i hear you're on the internet pretty frequently
3: yeah <laughs> so as mentioned i co-host the podcast sex love literature where we talk about essentially sex and romance in various pieces Pop culture, and you can find the that podcast on anywhere you listen to podcasts. But you can also find us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram at Sex Lovelit, all one word. But if you want to find me talking about more children's and young adult litter at Corinne underscore
0: Catherine. So Monica, and this is true, you are going to tell us about boobies now.
3: Yeah, absolute
1: highlights of my professional resume is that I now get to put uh, boobies on it every single time. So I was recently a guest on a BuzzFeed's As Is uh, YouTube channel for a video called Big Boobs versus Little Boobs. And we are talking about 1920s flapper fashion. And I was invited as the fashion historian to give the guests a little bit of background. So, oh, if everyone wants to go watch me talk about boobs, because why would you not <laughs> want to watch me go talk about <laughs> boobs? That's the thing that I'm going to plug this week.
0: It was awesome. I-, I did watch it. I'll link that in the show notes too. We, we actually tweeted about it when... I- I guess not when it went live cause you recorded it a while ago and
1: yeah, and then nobody on ever t- sent out an announcement. And I was like, maybe yeah. I should just Google and see if that's out yet. And it had been out for a <laughs> whole month. It has 80,000 views of people watching me talk about titties.
0: Um. <laughs> it's really cool. So yeah, that's going to be linked in the show notes as well. And as always, you can follow me on Twitter or Instagram or Facebook, all the places, always at Chris Maverick. You can follow the show, all those same places at Vox Popcast. You can follow the show's blog at www.voxpodcast.com where we post about whatever we're going to be talking about next week. Oh my God, next week is our 200th show. We've been doing this for four years. It's insane. So please go log into our blog, see what we're doing next week. You can leave us comments on this show, on any other show. You can suggest topics to us, what we should be talking about. And you can just, you know, give us general well wishes. If you enjoy the show, and we certainly hope you do, please subscribe to us on iTunes or Stitcher or Spotify or wherever the hell else you get podcasts from and do us a favor, leave us a five-star review. If you leave us a five-star review, especially on Apple t- Podcasts or iTunes that gooses the algorithm, makes us more popular, helps other people to find the show. And since it is our anniversary, it would just make me feel good. I've been doing this for a long time. Monica, you've been here not
1: quite a year yet. Six months, something like that. Yes, something like six months. It'd be a good six and, month anniversary present.
0: And, and for me, it's four years. And oh my God, it's tiring doing this. So <laughs> leave us a five star review, letting us know how much you enjoy what we've been talking about. And just wish us, and happy anniversary I would like to thank Maximilian of Thoughtform Music for our epic theme song building ever so more epically and playing us out I'd like to thank all three of our guests for joining us I'd like to thank you for listening and we'll see you next time
2: Goodbye Bye.